0: Well, good morning, New Hope. Good morning. Let y'all have a seat. It is, uh, it, it's good to be back here worshiping with you. My name is Jason Poling. Uh, I was the pastor here before you guys upgraded at the position. Um, I, uh, I'm especially happy that I get to be back here, uh, worshiping with people that, uh, that I used to worship with regularly, like, uh, Oliver and, and Lucy, uh, and, uh, my, my friends, Abby and Emily that I used to be in house church with. Um, so I got a question and, uh, I'm going to give you guys the first crack at it. Uh, who, who is the light of the world? I said, I'm giving them the first crack at it, Justin. <laughs> <coughs> who, who is, who is the light of the world? What's that? God, okay, or? Okay, so so here's the trick. In church, if you don't know the answer, a good guess is Jesus. Okay, so who's the light of the world? Well, yes, but not just Jesus. Actually, Jesus gave us two answers to that question. Anybody know what the other answer is to who's the light of the world? I'll throw this to everybody except Justin because he jumped in on the other one. <laughs> he's locked out. Who else is the light of the world? We are. we are. Yeah, in Matthew's gospel, in the Sermon on the Mount, chapter 5, Jesus says to his disciples, and actually he's and starting out. That's kind of the cool thing about the Sermon on the Mount. It starts out with Jesus just talking to his 12 disciples. And then at the end, it's like the camera zooms out and you see there's a whole bunch of people listening to him. He says, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill can't be hidden, neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. Likewise, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. But in John's gospel, in the text we're looking at today, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. This is John chapter 8, verses 12 to 20. He says, says, when Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The Pharisees challenged him, Here you are appearing as your own witness. Your testimony isn't valid. Jesus answered, even if I testify on my own behalf, my testimony is valid. For I know where I came from and where I'm going, but you have no idea where I come from or where I'm going. You judge from human standards. I pass judgment on no one, but if I do judge, my decisions are true. Because I'm not alone. I stand with the Father who sent me. In your own law, it's written that the testimony of two witnesses is true. I'm one who testifies for myself. My other witness is the father who sent me. And then they asked him, where's your father? You don't know me or my father, Jesus replied. If you knew me, you'd know my father also. He spoke these words while teaching in the temple courts near the place where the offerings were put, yet no one seized him because his hour had not yet come. So I know that you're in a series on John, just to to kind of recap where we are at this point in the gospel. This is the part of John's gospel where John is establishing who Jesus is. The end of chapter 3, John, John the Baptist, not John the author of the gospel, John the Baptist couldn't have written it because he gets his head lopped off, Uh, John testifies about Jesus. He he says that that I'm not the Messiah. I'm I'm the hype man for the Messiah. I'm the opening act. I'm the guy who is coming to say Messiah is on his way. Look out for him. And then in chapter 4, right after that, after John says Messiah is coming, when Jesus encounters the Samaritan woman, and he says in the words of that immortal song, Samaritan woman, get a drink for me. And, and she says at, at the end of that story, she says, I know, I know Messiah is coming. And, and when he comes, he's going to explain everything. And Jesus says, you're looking at him. So we've established here, Jesus is Messiah. John says, Messiah is coming. And sure enough, Jesus shows up and, and there he is. And then to to substantiate this further, of course we already had the story of Jesus turning water into wine at the wedding at Cana of Galilee. And let's just be clear, he turned water into wine. You listen to some people, you think he should have turned wine into water. He turned water into wine. Jesus heals the the son of an official. He heals the invalid at the pool. Then he feeds 5,000 people. He walks on water. Pretty much, you know, not things that most of us could pull off on our own. But all these episodes, again, if you kind of read through John's gospel, all these episodes are interspersed with scenes of him arguing with Jewish leaders, as well as with, the, with just the crowds, uh, whether they're people in Capernaum or people in Jerusalem, that are trying to make sense of who he is and what he's doing. And right here, uh, well, before I get to that, this, by the way, is is something that's been happening from the very beginning of the story of John's gospel. Chapter 1, right after the the prologue in verse 19, we read this was John's testimony when the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask John the Baptist who he was. He didn't fail to confess. In fact, he confessed... Freely, I'm not the Messiah. And I said, well, then who are you? You Elijah? He said, no. The prophet? No. And I said, well, who are you? Because these people sent us to find out and we have to have an answer or they're going to make us come back, right? It's like when Mary sends me to the grocery store and I have to get that thing I'm supposed to get. And if I forget it, what do I have to do? I have to go back funny, even the, it says the Pharisees who had been sent question him, you, like the priests and Levites and the Pharisees have been sent to question him. This would be like uh, Paul Gosar and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez being sent to find out something, like if this isn't evidence that Jesus brings people together, you know. Um, but, but they're trying to figure out what's going on, and Again, during this whole run-up to the the text we're looking at today, you've got this this, uh, back and forth between a a scene where something happens and then people are trying to figure out what's going on. It's sort of like an action movie spliced together with a Wes Anderson movie. And so here, we get a direct challenge to Jesus from the Pharisees. They say here you are, and you're appearing as your own witness. And because you're appearing as your own witness, that means your testimony isn't valid; it doesn't count. You you can't appear. I mean, you know, you go to court. What are you going to say? No, I, I I didn't kill him. Well. Nobody's going to believe that. Oliver's shaking his head. He doesn't believe it. He thinks thinks I pulled the trigger. And you know what? They're right. Jesus even said so. Back in chapter 5, verse 31, as uh, as he's uh, uh, debating with some of the Jewish leaders, he says, you know, if I testify about myself, my testimony isn't true. Jesus said that. Why do you say that? Well, that's Torah. You go back to to Deuteronomy, chapter 19. This is the law. Deuteronomy is kind of a, a restatement of law that was given before. It says one witness is not enough to convict anybody accused of a crime or offense that they may have committed. You need two. A matter must be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses, right? And and in an age before you could you know, use um, DNA evidence and, and uh, videos and wiretaps, w- witness testimony was really important. That's one of the reasons that one of the Ten Commandments is that you shall not bear false witness. It's not just about not lying, although you, know, you shouldn't lie, but you know, you, you giving false testimony in court is a very, very, very grave thing. Accusing somebody of something they didn't do Or, saying somebody didn't do something they did is a very grave offense. So, when Jesus says, yeah, if I testify about myself, my testimony isn't true. He's just saying what everybody knew. That's in Torah. But but then, just a few chapters later, he says, even if I testify on my, my own behalf, my testimony is valid. So then, is Jesus confused? Has Jesus misunderstood the law? Is he he in need of a refresher? No. No, the fact is Jesus is absolutely right to say that Somebody's testimony about themselves is not really something that ought to count. Everybody knows that. Everybody believes that. That's well established. And no, you you shouldn't just believe what he says about himself. It doesn't count unless, of course. Well, let's look back at what he says after that comment in chapter 5 when he says, If I testify about myself, my testimony isn't true. But he says there's another one, another person who testifies in my favor. I know his testimony about me is true. I mean, you sent to John back in chapter 1. He testified to the truth. John the Baptist, not that I'm accepting human testimony, but I mention it, that you may be saved. John was a lamp that burned and gave light, and you chose for a time to enjoy his light. But you know what? I have testimony weightier even than John's. For the works that the Father has given me to finish, the very works that I'm doing, testify that the Father has sent me. By this point, he has performed three miracles. Water into wine at Cana, healed the official son, and he healed the invalid at the pool. So he says, I've got John the Baptist's testimony supporting me. And I've got the evidence of these miracles I'm performing. Those testify. But wait, there's more. The Father who has sent me has himself testified concerning me. Now, you, you guys haven't heard his voice. You haven't seen his form. His word doesn't dwell in you because you don't believe the one he sent. I mean, you, you study the Scriptures diligently. You guys are in Bible study all the time you think that in those scriptures you possess eternal life, but those are the very scriptures that testify about me. So I've got the testimony of John the Baptist, and of the works that I'm performing, these miracles, and of the Father, and of the scriptures. So i got four witnesses, plus myself, which actually would be enough in and of itself because, as Jesus says back in chapter 8, even if I testify on my own behalf, be, my testimony is valid because I know where I come from and I don't know where I'm going. Now, don't try this if you go to court, right? <laughs> if, 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 if the judge says, you know, you've been convicted of, of going 80 miles an hour down Edmondson Avenue and you say, uh, well... I know where I come from and I know where I'm going. No. Plead down. See if you can avoid taking the points because that's going to make your insurance go up. And don't drive 80 miles an hour on Edmondson. But Jesus basically says you know what? Here's the thing I'm Jesus. That 's why my testimony about myself is valid, because I 'm Jesus. Now, you may not like this answer, certainly the people who were interrogating him didn't. They found that all kinds of offensive I mean by, by that point, they already John says had been trying to kill him uh, and and you know as the, as the movie goes on they're they're trying harder and figuring out uh, uh, more more and more ways that they can try to to pull that off but But Jesus says, yeah, my testimony about myself is valid because I'm Jesus. And that's, I think, one of the most fundamental concepts in theology. Back when I would teach at Loyola, I had to teach an introduction to theology class, which was required for uh, students at Loyola. So I had a whole bunch of of 19-year-olds who were not especially interested in being introduced to theology. And I, I, I would say, look, if you get nothing else out of this class, there are two name tags. There's the one that says God, and there's the one that says not God. You get the one that says not God. Okay? And Jesus is basically saying to them, yeah, there's two name tags. There's the one that says God, and there's the one that says not God, and I get the one that says God. Because in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And in the beginning, God spoke all of that which is in existence into existence simply by his word. His strong word did cleave the darkness. Before him was nothing chaos and then he spoke if we look back at the prologue John himself is talking about this he says in the beginning was the word the word was with God the word was God who's the word who's the word Jesus good yeah he was with God in the beginning through him all things were made without him Nothing was made. And it was life. That life was the light of all men. That light shines in the darkness. And that darkness has neither understood it nor overcome it. Now God sent a man, John, John the Baptist, who came as a witness to testify concerning that light in order that through him all might believe He himself was not the light. He came to testify as a witness to the light, the true light that gives light to all men was coming into the world. The funny thing is that he was in the world even though he made that world. That world didn't recognize him. He came to his own. His very own, who should have been most eager to receive him, but they didn't. But to all who did receive him, those who believed in his name, he gave the ability to become children of God—not children born of natural descent or the human decision, husband's will, but born of God. That Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We've seen his glory, John says, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Don't miss how big a deal this is. In a lot of ways, John's Gospel, sometimes the words can become so familiar, especially that, that prologue, or, or if, if, if you've been Studying the Bible for a long time, you can read it and you go, oh, yeah, right, you know, in the light of the world, you know, light, darkness, what? No, it, John sets up these really stark dichotomies light, darkness, life, death. There are people who were blind and then can see, people who are dead and are alive. And John does that not because he's ableist and not because he has something against blind people and wants to make them feel bad. He does that because the common human experience until very, very recently is that when it's dark, things are scary. When it's dark and you can't see things, you don't know what's happening. Right, before the age of floodlights, When the only way you could light things up was either with the sun or with fire, when the sun went down, and if the moon wasn't out, you couldn't see stuff. So there's a radical difference between when you can see stuff and when you can't. And if you can't see stuff, your options are really limited, you're really vulnerable. And John says, that's the situation that everybody is in, apart from Jesus. I'll say that again. That's the situation everybody is in, apart from Jesus. The people that walked in darkness, the prophet said, have seen a great light. But how do they see the light? Well, that's what actually takes us back to what Jesus says about us in Matthew's gospel, about us as the light of the world. It's funny, be- before this passage in chapter 8 and chapter 7, Jesus says to the Pharisees, he's there at the, at the uh, temple complex in Jerusalem, he says, You know, I'm, I'm only here for a little while. Um, and after that I'm going back to the one who sent me. You're going to look for me, but you won't find me. And where I am, you can't come. And the Jewish folks there said to one another, what, what does he mean by saying where I, that we can't find him? What, what is, is, he going to, is he going to go to where our people live, scattered among the Greeks? Is he, is he going to go and, and teach the Greeks? What do you mean when he said, you're going to look for me, but you, you won't find me, and where I am, you can't come? And on the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as Scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this, he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit hadn't been given, since Jesus hadn't and glorified. There's a sense in which Jesus did go out and teach the Greeks. The sense in which he did is that he gave his Holy Spirit to his church, which he then deployed to be his witnesses. As he said to his disciples, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so, our responsibility, our privilege, is to be the light of the world. And he says that we are to let our light shine before others. Why? So that they'll be impressed with us? So that we look good? So that like, the Chamber of Commerce gives us an award, or they write nice things about us in the paper? No. So that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Paul in his second letter to the Corinthians says that we are Christ's ambassadors. He actually uses that as a verb. He says we do the work of ambassadors. We, we ambassador. He says it's like God is making his appeal through us. So God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting people's sins against them. And he gave us the privilege of ministering that reconciliation by sharing that good news and by inviting people to be reconciled to God, by being his partners in that work of cosmic reconciliation. And that looks like a whole bunch of different things. That does look like feeding hungry people as New Hope has done with, the, with Catonsville Emergency Assistance, as we used to do with the crisis center when we were in Reisterstown. Uh, th- that looks like helping people who have been victims of disasters, as we do through world relief. And I can say we because I'm, you know, I'm still Pastor Emeritus, which means you guys still admit that there's a connection, even though you did upgrade at the position. Uh, and, and, and we also do that in ministries of, of evangelism, like within a varsity and quellen it's <laughs> quellen yes because jesus is the light of the world and let me tell you there are a lot of people who are out there clothing naked people and putting roofs on over people who don't have a place to live and feeding hungry people but not all of them are saying that jesus is the light of the world the church is the only institution that has that message so we get to partner with people who are doing all kinds of good works and sometimes we're the ones who are doing those frankly the uh, the the early church was made a name for itself because when everybody else was running out of town when the plague hit they stayed in town and ministered to the people who were sick drive around town you see how many hospitals have names on them like mercy St. Joseph's, God's people have been active in caring for those in need, going all the way back. But we do this because Jesus is the light of the world, and we we alone have that message to share. And that's why we do what we do. There's nothing at all wrong with owning that. In fact, uh, to my mind, that reminds us why we do the good things that we do, why we fire up a lamp and stick it up on a stand. So let me close with this collect, this prayer of the prayer book. So the second Sunday after the Epiphany, and we are in Epiphany Tide, In the church calendar, season of the Epiphany is the season when we celebrate the fact that God has, in fact, revealed his word, his Messiah, the good news of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection to everybody, to the whole world, that, yeah, Jesus did, in fact, go out and, in a sense, teach the Greeks by giving his Holy Spirit to his church and sending them out to share this good news all of us who did not come from Jewish stock are enlightened Gentiles. We were once in darkness, who were once in darkness have seen a great light. Almighty God, whose Son, our Savior Jesus Christ is the light of the world. Grant that your people illumined by your word and sacraments, may shine with the radiance of Christ's glory, that he may be known, worshipped, and obeyed to the ends of the earth, through Jesus Christ our Lord, who with you and the Holy Spirit lives and reigns, one God, now and forever. Amen.